0: Morning. Hello. Here we go. All right. Um, and I love worshiping on a Sunday morning. Our, those hymns are just great. They just never get old. I love them. You all, in many ways, when you all listen to those sermons, you have already received sermons in music before I even get up here. Just, those are those are just jam packed. I, I I don't see hymns going away for a long time. Um, good to be back, Stephen, my brother. Rightly divided the word of truth for you last week. Um, I just I really wish someone would have taped it. I, I I'm gonna try to be here next time he preaches because I really want to hear his prayers are like sermons themselves so I just you, you can tell a lot about a man's piety and his heart by, the, by his prayers and so um, I uh, I missed out on Stephen bringing the word one, I was at a conference in Washington D.C. with Franklin and Ben and uh, one of the chief points that they try to drive into you is let the word do the work um you know, we we have a many resources out here at Haines Creek. We have. Um, by the way, did you notice that there are there's new shrubbery? <laughs> Don't miss out on the shrubbery. We uh, we had we had big strapping men come out yesterday morning and plant, and um, we had a we had posthole diggers and we had shovels and. Uh, To that point, we have many resources out here that God has given us. Uh, We have buildings, we have playgrounds, we have mulch, we have more than enough deck space, we have land. I mean, God's given us all these things. But they do not determine the spiritual growth and success of a church. And that is why my trust was in Stephen, because Stephen's trust is in the Word. And I knew that uh, He would give that to you. And And to that point, making our way into Romans, if you want to turn to Romans chapter 13, Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14, while you're turning there, you can start to get a sense now, I've only been here as long as Romans 8, but you've all been going through Romans this whole time. And now that you're in Romans 13, there are only 16 chapters, Now that you've been going this far, you can start to get a sense of the direction of this book, of this letter. Romans 1-3, through all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one does good. All stand condemned before God. Romans 4, we've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ through His death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins. Romans 5, Christ has brought us peace as the second Adam, just as Adam sinned and we all sinned in Him and now we are born wretched. Now we're found in Christ and accounted righteous uh, through Him as as our federal head. Romans chapter 6, we're found in Christ, we're united to Christ, therefore we've died in Him and been raised in Him, therefore we have the spirit of the living God, the old self is gone, the new self has come, we've been raised in newness of life. It doesn't mean we're sinners, we're not sinners, it means we have dominion, Now, um, over sin, so to speak, or or another way, sin no longer has dominion over us. We have a new power, and He is the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 7, we're no longer living according to the flesh. We've been released from the law. Uh, Romans chapter 8, we no longer live according to the law, but we live according to the Spirit. God has adopted us into His family. That's why He's promised us these blessings and these inheritances that we have Romans chapter 9, these promises that we have, we know they will not fail because they're built on his work, not ours. God is in complete sovereign control over his creation, therefore we have assurance that he will be that he will make good on these promises because, of course, they're not dependent on us, they're dependent on him. Then Romans chapter 12, you're now as a new creation, as someone who's indwelled by the Holy Spirit, you are not to be conformed to the patterns of this world. But you're to live as living sacrifices, and then you get to Romans 13. And the reason some people think that it's kind of random that Paul goes from all that to talking about why we need to pay taxes. And as as Stephen explained, somebody, Paul, what Paul's getting at is somebody could get to the first chapter, the first 12 chapters of Romans, and they could, they could, a misguided reader could go, okay, that's good. I'm free in Christ. I don't have to conform to the patterns of the world. I'm released from the law. That means I don't have to submit to authority. Paul's like, no. Not so fast. Freedom from sin does not mean freedom from authority. As Brother Lee just said, you are not just free from something, we're freed to something. God has actually instituted civil authority for your good. Remember that come election season. With civil government, God is not simply protecting us with the sword. He is doing that. He's also teaching us obedience. Therefore, whether I disapprove or approve of my president, and by the way, he is your president, and whether I approve or disapprove of the fact that Congress is meeting 12 days out of the month right now, doesn't mean that I can get to shrug off whatever authority is instituted by God. Civil authority is instituted by God and it's a good thing even though it doesn't change my heart, even though it can't save me. Civil authority, human government, restrains human evil and it teaches my conscience to identify evil. That's why he gets off into this. Actually, I want to just read verses 5-7 through again. Therefore, one must be in subjection Yeah, but Trump is blank. I don't care how much you don't like Trump. Does that compare to the way that does does the how Trump can treat some people in our country compare even in in a minuscule way to how Caesar treated Christians in the first century, and Paul's telling them to submit to his authority much less that, he, that His authority is instituted by God. That's pretty radical to hear. I mean, Paul, didn't you, didn't you just see all those Christians being thrown into the lion's den? I did. We must give honor to whom honor is owed. A huge work of the Holy Spirit has taken place in the human heart when we come to realize that Christ has not freed us from serving God and man, But that Christ has freed us so that we can serve God and man. That's why a man can be, a woman, a man or woman can be in chains under a tyrannical, maniacal dictator who takes away the most basic human rights, and that man or woman can still be free. Because God has liberated him or her from true darkness. I mean, have you ever read Acts 16 where Paul is in jail and he's doing what? He's singing hymns. Have you ever gone down to the jail and seen somebody doing that? Not a lot of people singing hymns. Why? Because he has joy because he's free. How radical is that? Last month we learned in 1 John 3, verse 4, that sin is lawlessness. Therefore, we are to be wary of those who cannot submit to authority and law. Young ladies, if you're you're looking for a guy, (coughs) see the way he treats his mama. If you're looking for a leader in the church, we look at the way he submits to other kinds of authority. In order to be authority, it's like the centurion, he says, I'm a man under authority. Even Christ submitted to the Father. Such a man who cannot submit to authority and law is an insubordinate, unrepentant idolater with no understanding of godly freedom and obedience. At no point ever, think about this, at at no point ever in your existence will you ever be free of law and rule, even in heaven. We are either slaves to sin or we are slaves to who? Christ. What are we doing in heaven? We're saying worthy is the Lamb. We're worshiping and submitting to perfect reign in heaven. The difference is, in heaven we finally get to find out what a godly monarch looks like. We'll never be free of law difference is it's a law we love and we're no longer raging against the yoke of condemnation salvation is the freedom to finally serve someone who is actually worthy to serve so what does godly freedom look like well we're going to start finally that was a really big preface i'm sorry romans chapter 13 through verses 8 through 14 i'm going to read them Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, Lord Jesus, our sin is great, but Your love and mercy are greater. Our disobedience and our transgressions run deep, but Your grace is an ever-abundant, everlasting well. Lord, we just want to be found in You. And all these things we ask in Your Son's name, Amen. In Christ, God gave me, Abitad, the power and the desire to love my neighbors. I didn't have that before I was saved. He gave me that. I, I wasn't born, there is no such thing as someone who's born knowing how to naturally love people. That person doesn't exist. There are people who do good things. There are people who are born with nice conduct. There are people who are good people. But before the eyes of God, everyone stands condemned. Under sin. Under the law. It's a yoke. It's a burden. We must be freed or else we must be punished. Without the Holy Spirit, I could serve Logan... I could do good things for Logan I could beat Logan's friend I could take him to chick-fil-a which apparently is like the ultimate compliment of Sal apparently I could do good things for Logan I could tell him how I really liked him and I he was, well, it's kind of weird but you know I, I kind of he was a good buddy you know but it's only by putting on Christ that I can actually love Logan. I'm incapable of loving my my wife well without the Holy Spirit. To truly, selflessly fulfill the law, I need something other than what Abby has. In order to truly fulfill the law, Paul says it's not just about how much I can do for Logan or how much I can do for my wife or how much I can bless other people. It's about can I love my wife for my wife? Can I love Logan for Logan? Can I love you all as sinners just because I love you? That's fulfilling the law. I think there's a a tendency today to divorce law and love. As if law is bad and love is good. Have you ever met somebody who's like, Oh, well, why do not you let me do that? Like kids growing up? I'm, I'm sure I'll get to know this when they grow up. Why can't you let me do that? Don't you love me? Like, yeah. What do you say as a parent? I love you, therefore I ain't going to let you do it. Our world wants to split the two. What Paul saying here is that love both fulfills the law and sums up the law. A Christian is someone who keeps the law. Verses 8 and 9 say this, O no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor As yourself. In short, God's will for your life is to love. It is the goal and the essence of the Christian life. We are condemned by God. Listen to me. We are condemned by God for two reasons. If you had to boil it down. We are idolaters who worship things we shouldn't. And we are lawbreakers who do things we shouldn't. When God gives life to our dead hearts, we start worshiping God as we should and we start obeying God as we should. How do we do that? Verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So I worship God by loving Him and loving others, and I obey God by loving Him and loving others. God solves the human problem with love. Christ didn't set you free from the law so that you could live a life of self-idolatry where you only love yourself. Christ sets you free so that you could be liberated from your self idolatry so that you could freely love yourself, love others as yourself. The true Christian is the freedom. the tr- true Christian freedom is the freedom to live for someone other than yourself. And I think that God teaches us that in little ways, like for example, when I got married I learned to love my wife There's there was nothing in me that wanted something in return I just wanted to love her As a parent my babies like I just love them to love them I don't want it, they can't give me anything we've been over that And I think God uses that to teach us that there's something in this world beyond doing something for yourself I think God gives unrepentant, idolatrous, unbelieving people that taste in parenthood. Someone can be an unbeliever and they can really be a good parent. Have you ever seen those? But I think that that's short. And we're going to get to that in the Gospels where Jesus says, look, you gotta, you got to hate your own family and follow me. I think God gives us tastes in our lives of going, look, this is what heaven's like. This is what the kingdom's like. Loving people for not what they can give you, but simply for loving them. I think we have to answer two questions this morning in this text. One, what does it mean to fulfill the law? For example, I thought Jesus fulfilled the law. You ever thought about that? Why is Paul telling us that we can fulfill the law if Jesus fulfilled the law? Have you ever thought about that? Number two, what does it mean to be free from the law? How are we supposed to fulfill the law? I I thought we were freed from the law. I think that's a pretty basic question to answer there. Well, love answers both. Christ has lovingly freed us from the condemnation of the law, and He's given us the power to fulfill the law. In order to understand Paul's view of the law, we need to understand something first. The law is not bad. We cannot read our Bibles thinking the entire time that the law is a bad thing and we need to get escape it. We, the law itself is no more bad than Georgia State law. Ken wins amen to me right now. <laughs> the law is not bad. The law is just bad for who? Criminals. Who are the criminals? You are. We're the criminals. The law is a good thing. We've just misused the law. That's the problem. That's the, that's the dilemma that you have to be freed from. We are the criminals. We stand indicted. We stand convicted. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.8 says this, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just... But for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and the profane. We are the lawless and disobedient. We are the ungodly and the profane. And the reason the law exists is to make sure you know that. That's why so many sermons today cut straight to grace, but there ain't no law. You have to know you need to be washed before you're going to jump in the tub. We need to know, and we need to know that we are unworthy and we need to be cleansed. The law is pointing us to Christ, the one who can take that burden that we carry as lawbreakers. But now in verses 8 and 9, here's another question. Verses 8 and 9, Paul is speaking about the Mosaic Law, shall not murder, shall not steal. And he's saying that we can fulfill the law So which is it? Did Christ fulfill the law or are we fulfilling the law? Well, let me explain. When we believe in Jesus, when we place our trust in Him, what we're really doing is we're clinging to Him as the law-keeping Messiah that we need. We're honoring Him as the only one who ever perfectly obeyed the law. We're accounted righteous. When we're found in Him, the Father looks at us as if we obeyed perfectly. When we're found in Him, our account, our account and our record is as unblemished as if we had never sinned. As if. <clears throat> See, you don't want to just be cleansed. You want Jesus' perfect record on your account. And that's what happens. That's when we want to be found in... Didn't, didn't we just sing a hymn? It says, To be hid in Christ on high. Do you remember singing that? To be hid... It doesn't mean that God doesn't want to see you. It just means God's not going to want to see your sin or else you're going to a really bad place. You want to be hidden in Christ. And we're going to talk about what it means to put on Christ. Therefore, because Christ has perfectly obeyed the law and fulfilled the law, I have died to the law as my means of salvation. Let me say that another way. I don't die to a life of law. When Jesus, when I accepted Jesus, when I received His gift, when I believed in the Gospel, I didn't die to a life of law. I died to the law as the way I'm saved. Does that make sense? I've died to a life of tallying my good and bad deeds. I've died to a life of measuring my good standing with God by the things that I've done. That's what I die to. I don't seek my righteousness from the law. But people misunderstand that. In other words, not committing adultery, not stealing, not coveting, those are rules that I live by and I govern my home by, but they do not serve as the commands by which I seek to go to heaven. I get to heaven by Christ's obedience, not mine. Because remember, I'm a lawbreaker. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is a law of love. It's a law of obedience. It's a law of loving obedience. I'm living in grace. Now, today, as someone who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who is made new, who is found in Christ, I don't obey by compulsion, I obey by love. Here's what it means to be free in Christ. This might sound a little provocative for some of you, but this is is what it means to be free. My daily standing with God is not ultimately dependent upon how I live, what I do, or what I say. But upon the way Jesus lived, what He did, and the words He spoke. Now, somebody after hearing that could go, okay, but Avi, what about obedience? What about walking in light? What about my service? Well, those are good things, but don't miss the point. It is utterly impossible to fulfill the law and walk in obedience and properly yoke yourself under the law of Christ until you can glory in the freedom He purchased for you with His own blood. That's why Jesus says, he who is forgiven little, loves little. You're not capable of loving until you can glory in the fact that you've been set free and your chains are broken. And we're going to talk about people who abuse that. He's now given me a spirit. The law told me what was good. Grace told me to love the good. In verse 9, Paul quotes Leviticus 19. And what he's saying, before I quote it, what Paul's saying is this. This is not actually something new. It's actually been at the, at the heart of what God's been trying to do the entire time. Leviticus 19.18 You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's in the Old Testament. This isn't anything new. It fulfills the law. It also sums up the law. That's what Paul says. God has always desired love from His people. This is the essence of the law. Except now, we have the the power, ability, freedom, liberty to actually obey it. John Piper says this. You know it wouldn't be good unless I had a Piper quote. Have we been freed from the curse and burden of the Mosaic law just to be burdened down with a more radical law of Christ? No. The difference is that Moses gave us a law but could not change our hearts so that we would freely obey. Our pride and our rebellion was not conquered by Moses. But when Christ summons us to obey His law of love, He offers us Himself to slay the dragon of our pride, change our hearts, and empower us by His Spirit to fulfill His law. You had a heart that needed to die. That's why every time there's a sermon that I listen to and they're they're not giving the law, you're just leading people into pharisaical, legalistic, secretly selfish, ambition-motivated obedience without dying to themselves and relying on the Spirit. Give them law and then give them grace. We are both freed from the law and we are fulfillers of the law. We're no longer enslaved to ambitious, legalistic obedience held captive by secret motives. Have you ever walked away doing something nice and good and you kind of went, that was really nice and good. You kind of knew it. Be careful. We learned last time what? Don't be wise in your own sight. I used to make hospital visits at my first... My pastor got more because of the, of the church I had. I was like the only one under... 70 and uh, it was just the truth Um, so I was in the hospital a lot and I remember getting those calls at like you know right when I got there you know somebody who hadn't been to church and you know God bless them they probably couldn't come to church they hadn't been to church in maybe 20 years but they were on the list and so I had to get up at 3 a.m. in the morning you know sometimes I just that flesh just I don't want to go drive to Louisville at 3 o'clock in Nevertheless, I would go, and then I would walk back to the car, and I'd be going, I'm a pretty good pastor. I mean, who else gets up at 3 o'clock in the morning and visits people they don't know? But when I do that, when I have that secret little pat on the back, me moment in my heart, I'm not relying on the Spirit of God. I'm kind of secretly, fraudulently obeying God as if the thing that I just did gave me good standing in His eyes apart from the obedience of His Son. you got to walk in grace because I'm telling you, Martin Luther said, I need the Gospel every day because I forget the Gospel every day. Verse 10, Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling I was thinking about this question this week. I'm going to ask you this question, make you ponder it, and then I'm going to answer it. What's the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? If you had to say, if you had to boil it down. I think the answer is the power and the desire to freely obey God. What we just read in Jeremiah. Go back to Jeremiah. Here we go. This is kind of impromptu, but I just feel like it's so good. I want to read it. Real quick. Jeremiah, see, Jeremiah 31 is what most people quote for the new covenant. I actually like 32. Verse 40, he says this, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them and I will put the fear of me in their hearts, don't miss it, that they may not turn from me. How do I know I'm going to wake up tomorrow being a Christian? Because God's going to keep me being a Christian. How do I know that I'm going to keep walking in obedience? Because God said, I will not turn away from doing them good and I will put my fear, the fear of my name, in your heart and you will not turn away from me. That's the glory of the new covenant. Now I obey freely. Not by coercion. Have you ever seen, this is kind of a bad analogy, but has anybody ever seen the breakup with Vince Vaughn she goes, she goes, I told you to do the dishes. And he goes, I, I don't want to do this. She, or, Fine, I'll do the dishes. She's like, no, no, no. I want you to want to do the dishes. She goes, And he goes, who in the world wants to do dishes? What she was saying is she wants a guy who wants to serve her. Deep down, our, our, our human anatomy and our, and our human nature, we love people who just love loving people. You can kind of know when someone's doing something nice. To get something back. But when someone comes along and just nice to you for no other reason, you just kind of go, that little human nature in you goes, why'd they do that? That must be Jesus. Think about this a love that isn't free isn't love. A love that 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 a love that begins in obligation is fraudulent. God sat up there. We just read Philippians 2 in our small group. He sat up there. What did he do? God used, I think in order to really appreciate the sovereign gospel, we need to understand we don't need to start with our free will, start with God's free will. Think about God. What was in the mind of God to go, you know, I'm going to actually become a human and I'm going to live a perfect life and I'm going to die for wretched people. That's called free love. It was free. No one prompted God to do that. Well, God is love. Yes, but it's free. I think sometimes the way we speak of God being love, we think, yeah, God had to do that because He's love. No, He didn't. That's what makes it amazing. Amazing. That's what He asks of us. To freely love people. That's what the Holy Spirit has given us. That's what Christ purchased with His own blood. To freely love people. Not quid pro quo love. Free love. If you've ever done something with secret motives or ambition, you were doing it not freely. You were a slave to sin. The man who wants his back scratched is a slave to that person. But the man who wants nothing in return and has everything he needs has more freedom than money can buy. Have you ever watched... Now, now, now that's someone who... You know, we struggle with legalism. We struggle with wanting to kind of make God into this uh, slot machine where, he, you know, he gives us this, we get this, kind of... Then there's other kind of people who kind of go, Hey, um, have you ever heard this before? Um... Oh, well, well, don't do that. And they are like, ah, oh, that's fine. God will forgive me. <laughs> Raise your hand if you heard somebody say that. That's called antinomianism is what that's called. Namos in Greek meaning law, anti meaning anti-law. They think they're living as if the God who died on the cross for them died so that they could do whatever they wanted. But this is what Louis Burkhoff says. It is pure antinomianism to maintain that Christ kept the law as a rule of life for his people so that they need not worry about this anymore. The law lays claim, and justly so, on the entire life of man in all its aspects, including his relation to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When God offers man the gospel, the law demands that the latter shall accept this. Some would speak of this as the law in the gospel, but this is hardly correct. The gospel itself consists of promises and is no law. Yet there is a demand of the law in connection with the gospel. The law not only demands that we accept the gospel and believe in Jesus Christ, but also that we lead a life of gratitude in harmony with its requirements. Long story short, we're never free from living the law of God. We just don't look to it for as our righteousness, because that comes from who? Jesus. The law of Christ is an open invitation to accept a free gift of eternal life and to freely follow after Him. And here's the difference with the gospel, the law isn't burdensome, the law isn't oppressive, it's not backbreaking, it's not condemning. We glory in it because it reflects the character of our King and it gives us an opportunity and the will to, survive, to, to serve Him. The Holy Spirit is our power. And this is what I wanted to end with this the last four verses Besides this you know the time that the house has come for you to wake from the, the time has come the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to you now than when we first believed the night is far gone the day is at hand so then let us cast off the works of the darkness and put on the armor of light Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. To walk in love is to walk in light. See, you might have read that list and you, you started with orgies and drunkenness and you went, oh, that must not be me, I must need to flip Orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality... No, that's not me. Oh, he must be talking to them other people. No, keep reading. Orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Who's ever been in a quarrel? Who's ever been jealous? Bada-bing, that's you. <laughs> I'm telling you, sin just... Eh, the, the power of sin is not just... The power of sin is its duplicity. The hypocrisy. Hypocrisy starts with the double mind. Saying one thing and doing another. Thinking one thing and reading another. Don't read that like it's some other. That's us. The law is meant for us. We are criminals. But here's, here, this is the story I love. St. Augustine, the father of the Western Church, Augustine, I'm going to ask St. Augustine Church how they pronounce it. Augustine is the father of the Western Church. Other than Martin Luther, they say that this man may be the most influential person in the history of the church. He was saved by reading Romans chapter 13, verse 14. He said that was the verse that changed his life. Now all y'all reading it now. He said, when he read verse 14, he said, the very instant I finished that sentence, light was flooding my heart with assurance and all my shadowy reluctance evanesced. Augustine struggled with his past. Isn't it, no, isn't it amazing to think Augustine, the father of the Western church, had a problem with sexual morality In his entire life, he struggled with the guilt of his sexual misconduct as a, as, a, as a young man. In fact, he he actually ended up, eventually, just as a side note, he actually eventually ended up believing that sexual intercourse was only for procreation or else it was a sin, which is how most people believe that the Catholic Church now has its celibacy, which is, I think God made sex for other reasons. That's not, that, that's, you know, table that one. Um... <laughs> But I will say this. I I, I thought to myself, why that verse? I mean, have you gone through the first 12? I mean, my goodness. Martin Luther got saved in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Why 13? Why that one? And I think it's because the darkness and light, but I think it's that phrase, put on Jesus. Put on on Jesus. Not do this for Jesus. Not achieve this for Jesus. Not obtain this for Jesus. Put on Jesus. The Greek word is in induo. It literally means to put on like you would put on a coat. That, that phrase is very unique. We also see it in Colossians. And what I think it means is when we're clothed with Jesus, His mercy evaporates our shame. It's literally like putting Him on as a refuge from the cold. We need His righteousness. You don't want to stand by yourself at judgment day. You want to be clothed in something else. What's the first thing Adam and Eve do when they sin? Cover up. It is your natural instinct to cover up your shame. The world wants to cover it up with anything they can find and glory in it. The, The Christian flies to Christ so that he can be clothed with something that will last. The love of Jesus is the only defense against a life of flesh. God is calling us not simply to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's calling us to do that. But when we have faith in Christ, we put Him on. We put His righteousness on. Because when we, as sinners, condemned by the law, we can't stand by ourselves. We need the righteousness of the one, the only one who was perfectly holy. His grace, His provision, His mercy is the only power we have against the flesh. I'm just going to read it one more time and we're going to to conclude. Verse 14, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I want to conclude this morning and I wanted to plead with anyone here who has lived their life believing the lie that says you can walk in light without walking in love. I wanted to plead with anyone here this morning who has fallen in the satanic trap that says you can contain your fleshly indulgence and your sinful desires apart from love. can't do it. You can't. Your heart, your marriage, your household will fall into the darkness. It will fall into hypocrisy. It will fall into fleshly gain unless you cover yourself up with the armor of Jesus. And it begins with accepting His love and being united with Him in the gospel. And it begins with confessing that you are a criminal. I've heard people preach the armor, full armor of God. I think the full armor of God, that's a great text. I think people have preached it without recourse to sin. The reason you need armor is because you lost your armor in the garden. The reason you need armor is because you can only find it in the Son of God and the only perfectly obedient God-man. We're going to sing this morning, right after I get done this prayer, we're going to sing a song that says, perfect, I'm going to ruin it, now you're going to hate it. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I am my Savior and happy and blessed. Perfect submission. When you're united with Christ, serving under a good, honorable King, serving under His good, honorable law, we don't want to be anywhere else. The world hates authority. The world shrugs off law. But when you're in Christ, you you don't want to be free from His reign. You don't want to be free from His law. We want to spend eternity glorying in the law that once condemned us. We have been freed to lovingly subject ourselves to God and man. And the law that once condemned us and stood as a burden and a yoke for wretched sinners... We now love that law because it points us to the only good and honorable and just and holy and loving God-man. Loving the Messiah means loving Him and clinging to Him as our only hope for reconciliation with God. And it begins with knowing that we can fulfill the law today because He first fulfilled the law in obedience. Let us love And sum up that law. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. It is your righteousness and your righteousness alone. That gives us our right standing with God. It is your righteousness and your righteousness alone. That clothes us and covers our guilt and our shame. We can't stand on our own and our sin is so heavy Lord your yoke is light and your burden is easy and you've called us as sinners saying come as you are that we might be clothed in your righteousness Lord, we stand today on Your obedience and not our own. We stand today on Your holiness and not our own. We stand today on Your name and not our own. And we pray in Your name and not our own. Lord, You're asking us to be freed from the law in order that we might fulfill it. And we do that by looking to You in love. And all these things we ask in Your Son's name. Amen.